my very best tonight to just kind of speak softly. And uh, I want you to listen to what we have to say this evening. Thank God for the prayers of God's people. We continue to seek your prayers. Running back and forth to the lung clinic and what have you, but uh, they're working on it and they're getting... Getting me back to where I need to be on my lungs, but when they're doing that, of course, my diabetes is going sky high, so, but uh, I have to have the steroids just in order to breathe properly. So we try to watch everything that we do and everything we eat and drink a lot of water, a lot of black coffee. <laughs> but tonight, uh, I do covet your prayers. I'm going to be bringing a lesson, a 33rd lesson in the Bible doctrines. We are tonight beginning a two-part message on the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The second coming is one of those portions of God's Word that ought to really grab a hold of the heart of the Christian. Those that are saved by the grace of God, we have this unction from on high. We have this feeling deep down in our hearts. And it is the feeling of rejuvenating faith. When one believes on the Lord Jesus Christ and the hereafter, joy fills the heart regardless of the situation that you're in. There are moments in our, in our lives where we are in despair, but we're not forsaken. There's moments in our lives when we are filled with sorrow, but we have something to look forward to after the sorrow is past. And in John chapter 14, I believe as we look at the first phase of the second coming of Jesus Christ... The redeemed are promised certain promises. Tonight, if you're here and you don't know the Lord's your Savior, I would beseech you, I would, I would plead with you to listen to the, the words tonight of the Scripture and ask yourself this question, do I have that kind of hope? Do I have that kind of... Uh, Peace in my life. In John chapter 14, verse 1 down through verse 4, as we're dealing with the first phase of the second coming of Jesus Christ, He says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in Me. In My Father's house are many mansions, and if it were not so, I would have told you. I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. And whether I go, you know, and the way you know. As we look at this promise tonight, and I want you to know that's exactly what this is. This is a promise from Jesus Christ Himself. And He states... I am going to prepare a place for you. And I will. 
Now, folks, I'll tell you, those words ought to really resonate in your mind this evening. And I know the situation in this old world is bleak. I mean, it is dire. It's full of darkness. And, and I'm telling you, I've never seen such total depravity in mankind as we're seeing today. And the sad part of it is, it's only going to get worse. The Bible says in the last days, perilous times shall come and men shall wax worse and worse. Which is the total doctrine of total depravity. But tonight, as we look at this second phase, or this second coming, the first phase of it, I want us to know that we that are redeemed have certain promises that have been given to us. Promises that you can count on. Promises that can give you peace. Regardless of your situation, regardless of the circumstances in your life right now, you can have this peace. And again, I asked every person in this house, do you know that kind of peace? Tonight, again, if you're here and you don't know the Lord your Savior, you need this kind of peace. You know exactly what I'm talking about when I speak on the gospel. And the overwhelming feeling of guilt that comes into a heart of an individual because they know that God sent His Son to die on the cross of Calvary to redeem those who would come unto Him. May God help us tonight. Our most gracious and divine Heavenly Father, Lord, tonight as we bow in Your presence, we do thank You for the day which You've given us. We thank you, dear God, for the time that we have together in this house to worship you in spirit and truth. Lord, I pray tonight that as we do come together, our thoughts and our mindsets totally focused upon you and your great salvation. Father, we have just come through the, the second ordinance that, that you gave the church in the Lord's Supper. And oh, how it reminded us, oh God, that we have salvation because that you sent your Son to die in our place. To shed his precious blood to make an atoning covering for our sins. Was buried and rose again the third day for our justification. And how that, O oh God, through the gospel message you sent your Holy Spirit to quicken and make alive lost sinners that they may truly see and they may truly understand what's at stake in their lives. Lord, I pray tonight that you would bless your word. Help us that are redeemed to rejoice in the prospects of going home soon. Leaving this old cruel world, this world of darkness that's run by the, by the wicked and the most devastating creature that has ever roamed the universe. And Lord, I pray that very soon 
We will be in that place where we no longer have to worry about the devil. Lord, bless us this evening. Help me, dear God, tonight. Give me deliverance of thy word. I pray, Father, for for the strength and the health that we stand in need of. Lord, that we might truly bring honor and glory to you. Bless us tonight. Forgive us our sin in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. The doctrine of the second coming, the first phase. Emmanuel, tonight, our focus will be spent on the words found here in the Gospel of John. Where we are given a promise by the very one who could never lie, the very one who could never forget, the very one who would never disavow this verbal and blood agreement between he and the redeemed children that he came to die for. The first thing I want us to realize tonight in this promise, it is to those that the Father gave his Son. Now, he's already stated something spectacular, I do believe. And I believe this comes in the very the very form of the doctrine of limited atonement that so many preachers today will never, ever preach. Because they're scared to death they're going to stomp on somebody's doctrine. But God sent His Son to die for a particular people. And that's all, and that's, and that's all He died for was a people that was given to Jesus Christ by the Father. In John chapter 6, if you'll turn there and look at this with me. Now I know we covered some, a great deal of this in the, in the teaching on limited atonement. But I want you to notice what it says in John 6 and verse 35. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. And he that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I said unto you, that ye also have seen me, and believe not. You know, that takes us back into the the general call that we gave uh, two or three weeks ago in the teaching on the, the general and effectual calls of God. They knew Jesus Christ. They knew who He was. They, they heard His voice. They heard Him preaching and teaching. They saw Him. You know, as I sit and I think about that, I mean, my mind wonders sometimes and it goes back to a place a couple of thousand years ago where all these individuals that saw Him in Jerusalem and Galilee and Nazareth and all these other places, they heard, him, they heard Him speak. They saw Him perform miracles. As a matter of fact, many of them, He said, followed Him only because they saw the miracles. But they never did see Him as the Savior, as the Redeemer. And the reason why they never saw him as that one is because of what it says right here in this verse. But I said unto you that ye also have seen me and believe not. 
All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And that tells me that there's absolutely no wasted blood at Calvary. There was the atoning blood that was shed at Calvary from the, from the, from the scourgings, the beatings, the cruel mocking uh, trials, all the way to Golgotha when they nailed him on an old tree. When they pierced his side with the spear, all of that blood was shed for a reason. And there's not one drop of it that was ever wasted. Men today will tell you that, that you know, God is trying to save you. Jesus wants to save you. Let me tell you something. If you're one of the children of God, listen, you're going, you will be saved now. And, and I go to this and I want you, I don't want you to, I don't want you that are lost to lean on that. I don't want you to, that are lost to, to, to go and cling to the doctrine of election. I've heard, I've heard young men say that all the time and, and I, I've heard a young man in particular that said to me once that if I'm going to be saved, I'm going to be saved anyway. That's not the attitude to have. If you're lost and undone, I want you to have this attitude that today is the day of salvation. Today is the opportunity you have because you never know what tomorrow may bring. You say, well, what if? What if? What if I am of the elect and I'm going to be saved? It doesn't really matter. It does matter. It matters everything because... This is one thing I want you to realize, and, and this is one thing I've always preached. Even though I'm a doctrine of grace man, I'm a sovereign grace man. I'm a sovereign grace preacher who preaches the sovereign grace of God. And I know that there's no, there's no work of salvation in me whatsoever outside of the Lord Jesus Christ performing that work on me. But I want you to think about this for just a moment. You don't know right now, do you? You don't know right now where you're stand, what your standing is and what your state is, do you? You that are lost have no inkling of an idea what, what your future holds. But I know one way to know for sure. And that's to come to Jesus tonight. That's to come to the Savior because the Bible states here, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the will which he hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of Him that sent me, that every one which seeth the Son and believeth on Him may have everlasting life. And I will raise Him up at the last day. Now folks, I want you to know something here. This is one of those portions of Scripture that ought to ring true in the heart of the redeemed even now. You weren't saved by chance. You weren't saved by choice on our part. I'll tell you what choice saved me. It was God's choice of me. 
It was God's choice. I mean, believe me, I had nothing to offer. Tonight, the, the, the lost that are in this house have absolutely nothing to offer God. But God commendeth His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Folks, I want you to know something. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8 ought to grab a hold of your heart. In John chapter 17, as, as Jesus Christ was praying this intercessory prayer for the people of God, there are certain things that you, you cannot miss in this. I've had people to tell me, listen, I don't believe in everlasting life. I don't believe in eternal life. Listen, what do you, how can you get by with saying such a thing as that? You're calling, you're actually calling God a liar if you don't believe in eternal life. God says all those who will come to the Savior through Jesus Christ, the Son of God, may have eternal life and everlasting life. Now, Tonight, if you don't believe in eternal life, and God said you can have eternal life, it proves that this one thing, that faith is non-existent in your life. Listen, I want you to know what it says here in John chapter 17. The Bible says in verse 2, As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. Eternal life. In verse 6, the Bible says, I have manifested thy name unto the men, which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. You know, people that are truly saved by the grace of God, yes, there's times in all of our lives where we have grown cold. There's times in our lives where we have dismissed our very responsibilities as a Christian. But you let me tell you this right now. He says, there never is going to be no one's going to pluck you out of my hand. Amen. Romans in chapter 8 spells it out very well. Listen, it, it, I mean, the Apostle Paul was talking to the, the Christians there in Rome and he was telling them, listen, there's nothing can take that away from you. There's no height. You can't go high enough to get away from the love of God. You can't get deep enough to get away from the love of God. You can't go as far as the east is from the west and get away from God. As far as the east is from the west. Infinity. You can't get away from God. And the Bible says there's no creature can take you away from Him. There's no principality that can rob you of your salvation. Why? Because God... God owns you and He gave you to His Son, Jesus. In verse 9, again, the Bible says here, I pray for them. I pray not for the world, 
but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. Verse 11 and 12 again. And I now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to thee, Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me, I kept. And none of them is lost but the son of perdition, the devil himself. That the scripture might be fulfilled. Verse 24, and I'll move on. The father, he says, Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am. Where's he at? He's in heaven. That's the reason why John 14 ought to mean so much to you in them first four verses of Scripture. When he says, I've gone to prepare a place for you. And he says, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am in heaven. He said, there you may be also. There's a promise. There's a promise that you have from the heavenly Father. John 10, 29 says, my Father which gave them me. I mean... I could go on and on and on. Listen, in the doctrine of limited atonement, we must come to the conclusion that since the blood shed at Calvary by Jesus Christ atoned for sin, then sin had to be overpowered and consumed. Amen? In the believer spiritually. And if there are those in hell today, and there are those in hell today, Bible speaks about the rich man as he lifted up his eyes being in torment. He lifted up his eyes where? He lifted up his eyes in hell. So it's evident that Christ died not for every person, but for those whom God gave him. If God sent his son to die for the rich man that lifted up his eyes in hell... That means that the blood of Jesus Christ was not powerful enough to atone for his sin. If God sent him to die for that one in particular person, or if God sent him to die for any person that's in hell tonight. There are people today that I believe in my own heart that's in hell because of their, their wickedness and their life. I believe Hitler was one of those men that was, that was, that was so possessed there's no possible way that he could be anywhere else outside of the grace of God. But I'll tell you tonight, I, I thank God that we have these promises that are given to us. Now, the second thing I want to I speak on this promise, it's to the, the redeemed saved. In John 14, 38, he says, I will come again and receive you unto myself. Now I want you to think about this. Remember the phrase, I will come again. Again, we're, we're dealing with this, you know, in Acts chapter 1, verses 10 and 11, I believe it is, where Jesus Christ ascended back to heaven. And the, those men that were gazing there looking up, they were asked the question, what are, you, what are you looking at? This same Jesus that goes into heaven is going to return in like manner. He's going to return in like manner. You know, in Daniel chapter 7, verses 9 down through about verse 22 or so, we see another phase of the second coming. It's the second phase of the second coming when 
when Jesus Christ is going to come back and He's going to rule with a rod of iron, He's going to He's going to come all the way back to the Mount of Olives, and there's going to be there's going to be a, a, a price to pay for those who uh, rejected Him. But we're dealing with this first phase. In the first phase in First Thessalonians in chapter four. It's one of those scriptures I use it quite a bit in funeral messages. You know, you're you're standing there and your hearts are broken. You've lost a loved one. And again, I like to say if you're if they're Christian and you're Christian, I don't like to say they that you lost them, they're just a short separation. We ain't lost them. You know, I didn't lose my dad eight years ago. He just went ahead of me just a little bit. You know, all those down through the years that we have had to attend funerals for out of this church family, those that are saved by the grace of God, we didn't lose them. Listen, <coughs> we've just been separated by a short span of time. When you look at eternity, it's just a fraction. It's not even a fraction. But in 1 Thessalonians 4 and 13, he says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. Here's a place where, you know, sometimes I, I hear preachers and you, you think, my goodness, they ain't got a, they ain't got a bit of, of love in them whatsoever. I mean to look at a grieving family and say, you don't need to be a crying. That's wrong. And I don't care who, who it is that does it. I'll tell you right now, that's a wrong thing to do. We're crying because we're going to miss them. Not because we uh, have no hope of never seeing them again. You know, today as we, as we go through these times in our lives... The only thing the Apostle Paul was saying here, listen, don't grieve as if you're never going to get to see him again because you're going to. Why? Because we've got a promise. We've got a promise that came from the, from the Heavenly Father. You know, in 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 17, there's a, there's a phrase there that ought to grab a hold of your heart. That phrase is caught up and it comes out of the Greek and I can, I'm not even going to try to pronounce this Greek word, but it, but it does mean to be caught up. In other words, that rapture, that time when He comes and calls His redeemed home. This phrase deals with a specific time and date in our future. It's the first of two phases which deals with the Lord's return, the rapture of the redeemed. As He comes the second time, this first phase is in the air to catch away the redeemed dead and the living redeemed. We see that in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17, where the Bible says, For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with Him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord, folks. 
That's a promise that we have from, from the Heavenly Father. 1 Corinthians 15 verses 42 down through verse 54 deals with the resurrection. The resurrection of the redeemed, how our bodies are going to be changed and, and the dead that are buried in the ground are going to have new bodies. They're going to be changed and we that are alive are going to be changed in a twinkling of an eye. Can you just imagine? In a twinkling of an eye, I think I, I've, I've studied that out, it's one-third of a second. In one-third of a second, the redeemed that are dead and the redeemed that are alive in that span of time are going to be going up together within a third of a second of each other. Can you just imagine? All of our bodies are going to be changed. All of our existence is going to be different from now on. Why? Because of a promise. I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. Now lastly, the promise to the redeemed saved is that we will enter heaven's abode. In John 14 again, I want to read this and and again, I, I love this, you know, I love this portion of Scripture because it is just, it brings so much joy to your heart. Even though we are living in dark and perilous times, he says, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, and if it were not so, I would have told you, I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. Our Savior is coming again to receive us and take us to heaven with Him. Listen, folks. This is going to be the most joyous time in our lives. Just like I preached on the slain lamb Sunday morning. Listen, we're going to be... We're going to be around that throne. We're going to be celebrating. We're going to be, we're going to be rejoicing. The Lamb, the marriage supper of the Lamb has come. And, and all the witnesses and all the guests are going to be there. But you know what everybody's going to have in common? Joy. Joy. Peace. And it's just like, again, just like I, I preached at Brother Cage's funeral. Listen, it's real. It's real. It's real. We're going, to be a, we're going to be celebrating around the throne. I know that down here, we've been told for eons, listen, dance is wicked. But we're going to be a dancing in heaven. I'll tell you that right now. There's going to be dancing, there's going to be rejoicing around the throne of God, just like there was in, in Egypt when the Israelites come up out of there. Listen, we're going to be rejoicing. We're going to be so excited. Why? Because we have made it home. We've made it home. And all of the troubles of this life are finally going to seem worth it all. It's worth it all. John 17 and 24 again. He states here that, Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am. 
Where's that at? That's in heaven. That's around His throne. Just like it says in 1 Corinthians 15, 19 through 28. Listen, we're going to have a, uh, we're going to have a time. So yes, in this first phase of our Lord's second coming, He will receive us into heaven. As He summons us from the air. Every time that I see a cloud on the eastern horizon, I think, oh, that might be the cloud. That might be the cloud that He steps out on. But just because it's a blue sky here today doesn't mean there's a cloud somewhere in the east. Be looking. Be watching. Be ready. For our salvation is nearer than when we believed. Folks, I'll tell you. This is, this is, a, this is something that, my goodness, it ought to get a hold of you. You ought to have joy unspeakable and full of glory. Your heart ought to be overwhelmed even now. Look at what we've got to look forward to. May God help us to see that. May God help our joy to be full. And tonight, if you're here and you don't know the Lord is your Savior, you don't understand what I've been saying to you. But don't you want it? Don't you want to have peace in your heart? Don't you want to be overwhelmed with joy, knowing that nothing could take away your salvation and come to Jesus tonight? Just like I've said before, you know, I had a young man to say, well, if I believe in the doctrine of election, I'm going to be saved. It doesn't matter what I do today. Listen, I want you to know it matters what you do today because today's the day of salvation. You're not promised tomorrow. You say, well, I thought you believed in the sovereign God. I do believe in the sovereign God, but I also believe that He commands all men everywhere to repent today. May God help you to do that. Let's all stand, please.